Come on. Is, is drinks with our blood. Because you see, so many of our ancestors was killed because we have never accepted slavery. We had to live on it, but we've never wanted it. So we know that this flag is drinks with our blood. So what the young people are saying now, give us a chance to be young men respected as a man as we know this country was built on the black backs of black people across this country and if we don't have it you ain't gonna have it either cause we gonna tear it up that's what they saying and people ought to understand that I, I don't see why they don't understand that they know what they've done to us all across this country they know what they've done to us This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Governments change sometimes for the good and sometimes for the bad. Prior to the civil rights and equal accommodations laws of the government in this country, there was back segregation by the country, legal discrimination by the government, prohibited blacks from voting by the government, you had to eat in separate places by the government, you had to sit in different places from white folks because the government said so, and you had to be buried in a separate cemetery. It was apartheid American style from the cradle to the grave, all because the government backed it up, but guess what? Governments change. God does not change. God was against slavery on yesterday, and God who does not change is still against slavery today. God was a God of love yesterday, and God who does not change is still a God of love today. God was a God of justice on yesterday, and God who does not change is still a God of justice today.
This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. You just don't give up, just don't give up. And now, Janice Graham. And good evening to you, and thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground. Yep, I'm Janice Graham. (laughs) I started this morning, and I suppose it'll carry on until it's done. Thank you for being with us here at the Sanctuary for Black Truth. Uh, Tonight at our common ground, uh, we are going to, uh, it's not really uh, switching our gears, but it it is doing a deep dive into where we are as a people in these United States of America. Many of you will realize that we still don't have H.R. 1. We still don't have uh, the Floyd, George Floyd bill. Um, we have been titillated this week with a child care um, federal grant to families with children, and that is a good thing. We are being titillated with afternoon, I'm starting to call him Joe Biden and afternoon speech serenades. Uh, There is something going on, and we can talk about that, but tonight we are going to be looking at, reflecting on something that I think is very important. And that is what informs our perseverance. Is it faith? Is it hope? And asking the question of a very important uh, guest, uh, a woman that I have known for for many years. Uh, She has been an Our Common Ground voice since 2014. She is Reverend Dr. Susan Williams Smith. She is an ordained minister, a musician, a writer, an activist living in Columbus, Ohio. She has also been previously a talk show host on terrestrial radio in the Ohio region. 
She has written for the Washington Post and Huffington Post, as well as her wonderful blog, Candid Observations, and you can find it at candidobservations.com. She currently serves as one of the tri-chairs for the Ohio Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. She serves as a national scribe of the African American Minister's Leadership Council, as communications consultant for the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference, and is the founder of Crazy Faith Ministries and has a book, a book, Crazy Faith, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Lives, which was published by Judson Press. She is also the author of a new book, With Liberty and Justice for Some, The Bible, the Constitution, and Racism in America. In her previous visit with her, us at Our Common Ground, she had just completed the book of Jeremiah, the life and ministry of Jeremiah A. Wright, Jr., and she is also the author of Rest for the Justice-Seeking Soul, which is our titled episode tonight. Rest for the justice-seeking soul. How do we seek and get rest as we continue to struggle for agency in America as black people? Reverend, I call her Reverend, Reverend Susan. Reverend Dr. Susan Smith is a graduate of Occidental College and Yale Divinity School, and she earned her Ph.D. in theology from the United Theological Seminary. She's an activist who's been on the front lines of social and racial justice for many, many years as she has marched shoulder to shoulder to resist systematic oppression. She has heard the same question over and over, which we are going to discuss with her tonight. How are we going to get through this? And she lays it out in her book, Rest for the Justice, Seeking Soul. And it was this book really came out of those cries of our people. She categorized categorizes her newest book as a soul care manual for social justice-seeking believers who stand in constant vigil against all forms of racial, class, and gender oppression. She says that the fight for justice and equality is an exhausting daily grind, and we all know that indeed it is, and the work is never over. That's why it is incumbent, she says, upon all who speak and advocate for the less fortunate to practice self-care. You can't fight when your tank is empty. I think that her ideas and thinking about black resistance and the history and foundation of faith is fundamentally part of 
buck culture are essential. And as I indicated, we are proud to have called her since 2014 an Our Common Ground voice. If you are listening on a smart, smart device and you'd like to join in our chat room, you can come to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. If you'd like to dial in and listen, our number is 347-838-9852. Reverend Susan has not joined us as yet. Uh, I'm hoping that there is not. She's, she's usually a very prompt person. But what we're going to do is we're going to break for some news, and when we come back, hopefully, she'll be joining us. I'm Janice Graham, and this is Our Common Ground. problem is how it's being implemented, that states that are lifting man, mask mandates are doing so for vaccinated and unvaccinated people. That's why I think the lifting of the mask mandates right now is unwise. We should wait a little longer until more Americans get the vaccine. That was Dr. Ashish Jha, dean of the Brown University School of Public Health. He appeared on ABC's Good Morning America discussing the CDC's new mask guidelines and all the confusion behind it. Now, this was the first weekend Americans were able to go maskless if they were fully vaccinated since the pandemic began. So on CBS's Face the Nation, Dr. Anthony Fauci agreed with the new updates and said that the CDC is trying their best to keep up with the science. We're seeing that it is very unlikely that a vaccinated person, even if there's a breakthrough infection, would transmit it to someone else. Now, later today, President Biden will give an update on the pandemic and talk about what his administration is doing. For AURN News, I'm Ebony McMorris. The May labor report saw a decrease in unemployment, going from 6.1 to 5.8. But for the African-American community, that number is still at 9.1 percent. I spoke with Labor Secretary Marty Walsh about what the administration is doing in communities of color. It was two things. One is he did he did an executive order on equity to make sure that all cabinets are actually focused on equity, uh, make sure that, that we're really focusing on making sure there's creating opportunities for, for people of color. And then inside of the, both of those plans, he also made equity a, a primary purpose. As a former mayor, I think about laying down some foundation in our city. We have the same issue with unemployment rate in the white community. It's, it's, it, whatever number it is in the black community is always double. You have to be focused on how do you change that narrative and how do you actually make real change. And the president has incorporated that in the American Jobs Plan. Once they step back into the state of Texas, they will be arrested and brought to the Texas Capitol, and we will be conducting business. That's Texas Governor Greg Abbott vowing to send law enforcement after Texas Democrats who broke quorum. The Democrats are trying to prevent votes on an election bill that will make it harder for minorities to vote. By leaving the state, it kept Republicans from holding the vote. Texas State Senator Joe Menendez. You look at the net effect, the impact of that legislation, and you know that it's going to disenfranchise eligible legal voters. I think the whole intention of this legislation is to influence the outcome of elections. 
is to maintain power. I much would much rather have a, a fair and honest debate, but um, nobody seems to want to hear that. Now, Democrats have promised to stay away until the special session ends. The NAACP is offering to pay any bail. A federal program created by the Biden administration aimed at reversing a long-standing history of economic discrimination against black farmers is now on hold. The loan forgiveness program was part of the most recent COVID-19 relief bill. Advocates say it was an opportunity to help thousands who have been disadvantaged by decades of unfair treatment. But a conservative law firm in Wisconsin argued the program was unconstitutional because white farmers are not eligible. Now, a federal judge in Wisconsin has issued a temporary restraining order to halt the loan forgiveness. The nine, what was it? The money that was given to uh, farmers in this country uh, as a result of the trade war, 98% of that money went to white farmers. This bill under Biden is meant to address the historic practices, the historic discrimination that has been deployed against farmers of color, black farmers. So it's really frustrating to hear this witness backlash and to see the way people to create additional barriers when all Biden is trying to do is address what has happened in the past and finally open, clear, clear the field and relieve these farmers of some of the debt that they have been carrying for generations. What can people do? People can call their legislators. They can call their congressmen and their senators and express their outrage because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to right the wrongs of the past. This is our common ground. Thank you for joining us tonight. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And we do thank you for joining us tonight. Um, our number is 347-838-9852. And that is highlights of today's news. Reverend Dr. Susan K. Smith, thank you so much for being back with us. I am so happy to have you back. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad and honored to be here. Thank you. Well, you know, I, I have been, there's so much since the last time you were with us um, that has been going on. We have been through an, an Obama administration and a Trump administration, and they keep telling me, Dr. Reverend Susan, that trouble don't last always, but I'm not believing it at Oh. But it's good to have you back. Thank you. It's an honor um, to be here. And and I want you to know, and I I did um, indicate uh, your candid observations blog has been such a source of inspiration to me, oh, and wow. your writing and and your your books. I mean, you know, the Jeremiah Wright book just has a prominent place in the library in my home. Um, wow. And before we get started talking about how we get through this, how do oppressed and suffering people pray, and and what where is the hope, and where is and how do you claim the faith? Um, I, I do want to ask you 
because I have not seen uh, how Reverend Wright is. He is doing well. I mean, he, you know, when you have a stroke, you, you, you know, you have to go through what you go through in order to to have function tonight. But he, you know what? He is doing very well. Um, and even though the the stroke has affected his capacity to move some, his mind is still so sharp. It, it. I mean, he's still oh, preaching and preaching and cracking jokes and, you know, but reaching out to people and mentoring people and loving people. I'm telling you what, he is a role model. Even in illness, he's a role model. He's something. So oh, he's doing well. That's that is so wonderful to hear. Uh, I think that now that he has, you know, I, I was, I was really, really, um, um, I, I am such a follower of his, mm-hmm. and I was really, and I hadn't seen him pop up on Facebook or or anywhere, and I was really hoping that we would be able to continue to be inspired by his voice, by his brilliant thinking uh, in liberation theology. But let's talk about what you have been doing. Since the last time you were here, you published with Liberty and Justice for Some, the Bible, the Constitution, and Racism in America. You... um, um, uh, published that in 2020, and then last year you published Rest for the Justice-Seeking Soul. And, of course, I was in line. Uh, I purchased it before they could ship it to me, and it is such a wonderful, wonderful work, and thank you so much. Your your voice resonates what what we need as a people because this this tribe is not, not only are we collectively um, in despair, uh-huh. but the tribe is also falling apart. And one of the things, and I should tell you this, that I have become concerned about, and that is black people not focusing on uh, the faith part, of right. our culture, right. that we have generations who are not claiming that faith is part of how we got over. Yeah. Um, you know, so let, let, let's talk about something that you wrote uh, very recently. You, you wrote a, a blog called What White Supremacy Has Stolen. And in yeah. it you said that you were afraid that the belief in and the practice of white supremacy had stolen the honor of far too many. Talk to us about that. Uh, yeah, I, I've i been watching, everybody's been watching um, and seeing how uh, some white people, uh, many white people, are so wedded to white supremacy and um, the way they've been able to get away with all kinds of stuff throughout their lives because of white supremacy. I liken the people who 
adhere to it as, as people who are addicted. I think that white supremacy is an addiction, and they cannot um, they cannot break away from it because it is a part. It's in their system. It's in their system, so they cannot hear through. They cannot like a person addicted to a drug or to alcohol or to food or whatever. They are addicted to this idea, this false idea of their superiority, and in that they have been allowed to get away with hurting and oppressing and killing people since this country has been a country. Um, and, 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 and when they are pushed on it or pushed against, you know, when, when black people, brown people uh, push against them and, and claim our personhood and our dignity, they react like little spoiled brats. But they are also they also react with a violence. That's all they have um, to fight for this thing called white supremacy, and they are afraid of losing it. They see so many things changing in front of them, and they have no power to stop it. They're trying to stop it. They want to control it, but they cannot stop it. It is it is there, um, and so they're terrified. But their terror is fed by their by their illness, I think, their their spiritual, emotional illness called white supremacy. And they have no honor. They have been but they've never had honor. I mean people have been allowed to kill and uh, and hurt and discriminate against white people have been allowed to do that from the beginning of time. So they have gotten used to that and they can't imagine their lives without the, without the, the go-ahead to do that. So I think, you know, when I think about it, I think, Dennis, I think about how they shoot us with a nod and a wink. Or, you know, it's a modern-day lynching. Mm-hmm. But they shoot us with a, with a nod and a wink, yeah, ha-ha, because they know that they're going to get away with it. And why do they know that? They know it because it has always been. So they've been like these spoiled children and, you know, when people are spoiled, when they don't get their way, they act out. I mean, they just go all over the place. And that's what I see. And these people have no honor. They can't even conceptualize what honor is. They cannot hear the truth. They cannot hear anything that's going to shake their uh, their belief in their superiority. And and they have no honor. They just don't have it. They, mm-hmm. they cannot see anything other than themselves. They are narcissistic. They are selfish. Um, but they have. This has been bred into them from the very beginning of this country's history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the things you write uh, in this particular piece is is that they have not cared about making policy that have kept black people enslaved by par- poverty. They have not cared that little black children have had to try to make it in schools which were poorly heated in the winter and which had no air conditioning in the summer. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, one of the questions that I have for you and others who intrinsically understand that that is a part of the white supremacist behavior in this country, I have to ask about where is their faith? Well, you know, you hear a lot of times people, a lot of white people talk about being Christian. But my belief is that if you're going to say you're Christian, you have to do what Jesus said to do. And these um, people do not do what 
Jesus says to do. They practice um, white nationalism. They have made white nationalism a religion, but they've put the name of Jesus on it to give it some sort of, um, I don't know, some sort of verification. The founding fathers of this country, you know, they're very fond of saying that this is a Christian country. It was founded by Christians, for Christians. That is not this, the founding fathers were very clear. They were emphatic, and they stated it in no uncertain terms that this country is not a Christian nation. Um, they, these founding fathers, um, you know, they grew up in church and all that, but they, so they knew religion. But there's a difference in, between being religious and being a Christian. And so um, uh, the founding fathers didn't like the metaphysical aspects of Jesus and the miracles and all of that. So they, they were just Protestant. They were just religious. But people have took uh, Christianity, reshaped it, took it away from what Jesus made it and made it into this nationalistic, militaristic operation and to put the name of Jesus on it. Their faith is in themselves. Their faith is in um, their, the, the demon called, called white supremacy. And I just read something called, and it said that, um, uh, People have made the the demon is it the demon is white supremacy and the demon has become a god so their god is the white supremacy and they believe in a the strong man the tough man the bully they believe that's their that is their conception of God so far away from what Jesus the Christ as we read in the Bible uh, was portrayed to be so they have this 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 um, this conception perception of God, and and that's what they run on. Jesus is on the side. They know that Jesus exists, but they don't call on Jesus. Their faith is in the, 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 the power that they derive from white supremacy. It's very sad. It's very sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that your book of daily devotion for what you call justice-seeking souls is so timely because I'm I'm not sure that we are seeing in our community a call for uh, soul health in in the face of the kind of um, onslaught that Black people are experiencing right now. And one of the things that you say in this book is you can't fight when your tank is empty. Right. And I think a lot of people might want to hear you talk more about what is that tank? What should be in that tank? Um, Should it be high octane? What happens when there's high octane when you're trying to to fill your tank, what happens when there's low octane and it's a old, and you're an older model, older model like me? Uh, <laughs> um, me. One, you know, if you could amplify your thoughts about trying to fight uh, when your tank is empty and what social soul uh, care is all about for people who are out here constantly attempting to be vigilant against all these 
different forms of uh, racial, class, and gender oppression? You know, it is very um, difficult to, to 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 move and to work when when you are empty, and you get empty when you keep pushing against a wall that seems never to move. Um, a lot of the young people, you're right, a lot of young people, and I work with a lot of people, don't have a lot of interest in church. They they know God, Janice. They love God, but they don't like church. And what I have mm-hmm. shared with them, need, you know, you need to have a filling station for when you do this kind of work because the wall that doesn't move will um, will take all your strength. It's isometric. It's a it's a societal isometric exercise, and it just never that wall is so hard to. Um, I mean, it's just it's de- it can be depressing. I, last year, between in the last several years. We've had three young people who do social justice work here in Columbus, Ohio, commit suicide. And I think the reason for that is twofold. One, because the work is hard and you keep fighting and fighting and fighting and hitting that wall. And the other reason is because they don't, they don't, they haven't connected with a church um, um, or a, a spiritual source that can give them the feeding. The one thing that I, I know, and then you know, and churches have problems. All churches have problems. In the black church, we have our, our problems. But the one thing I do know, I'll never forget, uh, years ago, a woman named Hazel Bryant, who was uh, one of the sisters of Bishop John, Richard Bryant of the AME Church. Um, I visited her. She lives in New York. And she said something about um, church being, uh, Sunday service being a time for grief release grief release. She said, when you get that music going and you can shout or cry or run or whatever, it is a way to get out the grief that we carry um, from fighting a system and for loving a system that doesn't love us back, as Doc Rivers said. And so if you don't have that, if you don't have that, that place where somebody can sing your song and give you a sense of peace and hope. I was thinking about that today. This is a song It's good to know that you are there beside me. Sometimes, Dennis, there is the song that can be sung, and it connects you with the God of your grandmama and your great-grandmama and, and, and all of our ancestors, and it gives you strength. It allows you to cry out some of the anger and the frustration and the fear, and it allows you to have a room in your spirit for the Spirit of God to get inside and massage you a little bit so you can keep on doing the work. And when we don't, mm-hmm. um, we're not connected with, with that, we lose that. We lose that. And it is so vital. You know, and it's not only the, the music, but it's, the, it's the, um, the community we have in church. And you can go in church and feel down, just down, and sister so-and-so or mama so-and-so can look at you and say, baby, what's wrong, and give you a hug. Sometimes that can be the difference between you going out and fighting again or killing yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is mm-hmm, the power, mm-hmm. the power of, of, of church. And so um, there's a, 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 a young people who, don't, who, who reject that, I think, are losing that. It's like medicine. It's like the medicine that you need for the strengthening of your soul to do the work that God would have us do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, when, when I used to do justice training or social uh, resistance training uh, with young people in Boston, uh, 
one of the first one of the things I incorporated in that training was teaching young people how to hug each other. Mhm. Um mm-hmm. how to find the connections through hugging. How mm-hmm. to find the center of their collective purpose by right. hugging. And it was really sometimes for a two hour session it would take up uh almost forty five minutes because there were there were young people and, and adults who did not know how to engage in that way. You're right. right. And you know in you know I grew up in the AME church and I was everything in the church uh, <laughs> YPD, every, every, you know, in 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 my in my youth, if you didn't go to Sunday school, if you didn't go to YPD YPD league, if you didn't go to church, and if you didn't have roles and participate, that was the core of your young life, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, so, you know, when I go through rough times, I can hear my mother saying, baby, there is a bomb in Gilead. See, and the way she would say it would just make something it, subtle. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, and, and, I, and I think that it is so important for us as a people to learn to affirm each other. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to, it, it has nothing to do, and I want to emphasize for people who are listening, it has nothing to do whether you're Baptist, whether you're mm-hmm. communist, no. whether you're a Marxist, whether you're whatever. We all share the foundation that there is a force that is greater than ourselves. That's right. That's right. I was just having a conversation this evening with um, a couple of white people, and um i was I was saying that part of the work that um has to happen in this particular political season is that um we have to go into the places where we are uncomfortable and i and I said that includes in here in Ohio going into the rural places of Ohio and talking to people. These are people who will probably you know get on your last nerve who you will not like. But at the end of the day, this is what I really believe, is that God made every person, well, every person, sometimes it doesn't manifest because of illness or whatever, but for the most part, God made, um, gave every person the capacity to feel, to see, to think. God gave us that. Now, some of it gets, um, because of white supremacy in this country, some of it is, you know, you can't find it. But if you can talk to somebody, you know, woman to woman, Man to man, just talk to them. Because at the end of the day, if you are poor, it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter. Uh, if you don't have health insurance, it doesn't matter what color you are. What matters is that you're, you, you have a need and there's some commonality that you can, you, you can hold on to um, and help each other out. And so I said that, um, you know, the last thing anybody wants to do is to sit down and, well, let me speak for myself. In this season, because I'm so angry at all of the, 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 um, the, the racism, the just above board, in your face racism that I'm seeing, I'm so angry at it. But I have to remember that up underneath what I see, 
is that part that God put into every single human being. And that's the part we have to reach for. That's a difficult thing, but I think it's necessary. If we don't do that, then um, uh, we keep, you know, pushing each other to to our our respective sides. This divide that we feel is just going to get wider and wider and wider, and a lot of people are going to be hurt. Mhm mhm and 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 we don't really have an appreciation generally for how hurt uh, creates a mound of hurt right you know i I mean, I really followed you as you followed the uh george floyd um not the george floyd the the Derek chauvin trial. Yeah. Every morning I come to see if you had posted something <laughs> to help me out. <laughs> because one of the things that in in all of the trials that we have been uh through, Brianna Taylor, uh and it goes on and on and on, Tamir Rice and it goes on and on and on. And my generation we reflect back to the Scottsboro boys. We reflect back to Emmett Till. I mean, I think I've said this to you before. Um, when Emmett Till was murdered, uh, I I came home from school. I was very young. Came home from school, and the Jet magazine had arrived, and and I started reading it. It was the first time that I realized that children die. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then uh, the the trial of Anthony Ray Hinton, um, mm-hmm. uh, and and you know, and as you have written in your in, on uh, <clears throat> on uh, candid observations and in your books, black people have been waiting for justice forever, forever, and the and the waiting creates a burden of trying to hold on. Yeah. And and you know, because you know, I I in in the system of white supremacy in the US, I understand that black people, uh, white people don't really understand what we mean when we talk about we want justice. Right. Right. You know, and I, and I- and I think um, one of the things that, that irritates me is that so many times you'll hear white people saying, you'll hear white people say, well, you know, they like to label us as an angry black woman, you, you know, oh, she's angry or he's angry. And I just want to sit down with a group of white people and say, okay, let's just talk about this for a moment. Would you not be angry if? And just give a laundry list of all of the things that we can think of off the top of our heads, like our, our, um, fathers and brothers and grandfathers fighting in all the wars of this country and and yet coming back home and still being treated like second-class citizens made to stand up in trains while German prisoners of war had seats? Would you not be angry if you were made to um, pay for your your bus ride at the front of the bus and then have to walk to the back of the bus, the back door of the bus to get on, and sometimes the bus driver would take off after you had paid, would you not be angry if your children went to the schools, like I, I 
put in my article. With no heat in the winter and no air in the summer? Come on, what are we talking about? We have reason mm-hmm. to be. We have reason. We and and, and 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 it's only by the grace of God that we haven't, you know, exploded this country. We fight for justice. People white people fight against us because we fight for justice. Um, they they fight, they resent us fighting through our pain and our anger, and then they have the audacity to say, you're angry. And I want us to say, yes, we are angry, and we have a right to be, and we need to own mm-hmm. it, and we need to learn it, and we need to understand it ourselves, so when somebody comes at, at us with that, we can just, just lay out, the, lay, just set the table and let them know, yeah, we're angry, and this is why. Because you know what? Mm-hmm. A lot of don't know what we've been through. They have been so isolated. Their history has been so um, um, carefully picked so that they get a, 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 a whitewashed, homogenized version of history. They have no idea what we have been through as a people, and I think we need to tell them. I think that they need to know, and I think black people need to know too because at the end of the day, all of us in, in this in this country have been taught pretty much the same thing because the the people in power have wanted to keep us all under control. So we have an obligation, I think, Jenna, to, to learn the history and to share the history, to strengthen us as a people, and to let these other people who are saying you're angry say, yes, the hell, we are angry, and you would be too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, of course you know, and most people who are listening know, that I've always been labeled as an an angry black woman because I'm essentially a race woman. And I always respond by saying to people, yes, and it is a badge of my intelligence that Mm -hmm. I am angry because I understand the reality of both my history, my present, and the future of my children, the children in my family. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and, the bed and 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 take the take the knee. <laughs> you know, it, it is the height of arrogance to to stand to do what they do to non-white people, to women, to Native Americans, to anybody who's not in that very very tiny sliver of 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 the creme de la creme that they call themselves. It is it is absolutely angering what they do and get away with. I always wonder, mm-hmm. you know, you listen to people that um, people, uh, people that things happen to, and then we just want justice. And whenever I hear um, people from the majority population say that, I say, well, don't you think we want justice? Do you understand? Of course they understand the agony of having somebody killed by, you know, can be killed by somebody on the street, killed by a police officer, but somebody who who has a loved one who has been murdered wants justice. Why do you think we don't want justice? And why do you think we we should not be angry as we have never gotten justice? Why do you think we should not be angry that law enforcement and military personnel have always participated in these violent mobs that have been raged against us. They, 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 they have dehumanized us, and because they have dehumanized us, they don't even think that we should feel. And so they have this attitude, like uh, that lady Laura Ingram said, that we should just shut up and dribble. That's plantation um, uh, uh, theology, I call it, where you just shut up 
and, you know, pick the cotton from sunup to sundown and go to your little cabin and sit down and be grateful that we allowed you to pick the cotton. How about it does not work that way. Human beings do not respond well to being oppressed, and, 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 we, and we have to own it. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, one of the things that you write about a lot is this idea of the arrogance of the nod Ooh. and wink mindset. And and what you say about it that that there are too many people and this is uh, uh, in in response to, to to those comments that too many people in power neither feel guilt nor responsibility right. and have an arrogance right. about the power that they use to oppress others. Right. Because they know they can get away with it. I mean, you, when you think of all of the people, um, all of the black people who have just been accused of a crime, not even proven to have done a crime, but accused of a crime, um, and the people are brought to trial, if they're brought to trial, they're not worried because they know they're going to get away with it. As a rule, are not worried because they have set up their systems with qualified immunity and, and this very protective sentence, I was in fear for my life. They know if they say that, they're pretty much assured of getting out. So they do things to us. They shoot us because they can. They were uh, White people were deputized to shoot black people who are trying to get to free. We have never been like these folks going and trying to burn up the Capitol building and all of that. We have just been trying to get them up underneath there. Thumbs, you know, just leave us the heck alone. Mm-hmm. And when we've done that, mm-hmm. um, law enforcement and governments have deputized and 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 given power to ordinary white people to kill us and shoot us. So they've always done it, and they've always gotten away with it. So when they shoot one of us, they they're not worried about it for the most part. They're just not worried. I still don't really understand. Um, I appreciate, but I don't really understand how Derek Chauvin um, got to be like the like the scapegoat, I guess, of the police department. I mean, that's very unusual. What happened in his trial? Will fellow police officers come and testify against a, a fellow police officer because they protect each other? But I was glad to see it. Oh, gosh, Jesus, we should have had just hundreds of people. Hundreds of people in prison, sitting in prison for 20, 30 years for what they have done to innocent, unarmed black people. Mhm, mhm. In 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 your your new book, uh, with liberty and justice for some, you raise a question that I think is a a, a profound question that all black people ought to be pondering as they brush their teeth each morning. What, Reverend Smith, will it take to reclaim the transforming and affirming power of God and government to secure liberty and justice for all? What will it take to do to what now? To reclaim the transforming and affirming mm. power of God right. and government to secure liberty and justice for all. Mm-hmm. How does how does God and government intersect to find synchronic, uh, 
to synchronize efficiently enough so that every American citizen can secure liberty and justice? Well, that's a good question. Um, because I think, and this is just my, uh, I think historically uh, God and government run parallel courses in that intersect. And has said a religion of the state and the religion of the state that government um, noted to me power. The government has to keep to to claim its power and to keep it. Religion has. You're kind of breaking up. Okay. Um, Can you hear me better now? I've been having trouble. Is that better? Yes. Yeah. Um, the government has uh, used religion to to name its power and to claim its power and to keep its power, and religion has been in bed with the government in order to maintain its power. If the if the government can say that God, um, this is the will of God, and the church sanctions it, then the people have nowhere to go um, because they believe um, that the, the government is a God. Their government becomes their God. And that's what I, I see, that there's been a parallel a parallelism between religion and and government. I think where the, there has been an intersection, though, is amongst um, oppressed people. Black people, Native Americans, Hispanics, we have we have we have used that we have claimed our religion and used it to survive. And so, um, in spite of the fact, for instance, that uh, white missionaries in England sent uh, redid the Bible. That just blows me away. But redid the Bible um, and and took a lot of the chapters um, that are in the Bible that we call sacred. They took a lot of those books, whole books of the Bible, were taken out um, by missionaries in order to keep black people under control. They did not want us to revolt. Um, and they and they wanted us to stay in line. They would go back to uh, people in religion, would go back to the words of Paul, that you're supposed to uh, respect the government. And so they used each other uh, to, to support each other. But black people and brown people learned internalized a different God that came largely from their own uh, spiritual and religious roots. And and there is where the intersection is. So if there comes a time where government and religion can be used for uh, the, 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 as a tool, as the tool to get liberty and justice to all people, it would have to be from a person who has not practiced the, the religion of the state, is what I call it, um, but the Christianity of Jesus. And those are, those are mm-hmm. two different things. There's two, two mm-hmm. different things. Mm-hmm. You know, there are many uh, people in our tribe, in our communities, who would say that they have lost faith in both our church mm-hmm. and in our government. Uh, there are those who will say, who would say that neither the Bible nor mm-hmm. the Constitution has protected black Americans from the power and prerogatives of white supremacy. And I'm asking you, what do you say? 
I believe that neither the Bible um, or or what calls uh, is called Christianity by white nationalists or the government have neither one of them have um, operated uh, in a way that protects and affirms uh, non-white people, and not only just non-white people, but poor white people and non-white people. The government and the church has been used have been used to affirm and support the dignity of the very wealthy few elite. But in terms of the masses, both government and the Bible, both government and the religion in general have failed. Um, and it, as, as the structure as it is, has to change if people of color uh, are going to be affirmed and if people of color are going to get fairness. The, 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 I remember doing an interview with Diane Nash um, you know, because we expect we expect police officers to protect us. We expect the mm-hmm. courts to bring us right uh, right decisions. The courts have not done that, and police officers obviously have not protected us. We expect that the church will be on the side of the working poor. We expect that the church will be um, against this discrimination of any group of people or any individual, and the church has not. Um, as it has as it has stood, because it is a church that has been made into this militaristic arm of the government, and so there has to be a willingness, um, or maybe not, I don't know the willingness, but I know black and brown people and people who are oppressed have a different sense and a, diff- a sense of and respect for God that that will, would be used um, in, if they were in government and power in government, that would be used to help the needs uh, of the masses of people, the least of these, as it says in the book of Matthew. Um, you cannot be concerned with the least of these if your whole um, energy is spent on making sure you get power and keep power. The power is God's and the people uh, who are in the, the higher echelons of government and religion do not give that power to God. They give that power to themselves, and they use the name of God to uh, kind of prove what they're saying. It doesn't work. It's not going to work. Mhm, mhm. And and you know, one the dilemma is in the convulsions of white supremacy that we have experienced over the last uh, twelve years. Mhm. That has been so blatant and so public, mm-hmm. I'm wondering as a faith, I call you a faith liberationist, as a, oh, I love faith, it. Liber- <laughs> as a faith liberationist, how do you guide people to a black liberation theology? How do you help people dig deep to find a faith where uh, oftentimes, too many oftentimes, there is only space and not healing? I know. You know I, I know that's a lot to lay on you, but it, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that the church has a lot of work to do. Um, the church 
as an arm of the government or as an institution that for, for too many people just serves as a, a way to amass and keep power um, has failed in a lot of ways. Um, the church has to take an honest look at itself and, and fix the places that are broken, and there are places that are broken. Um, I rely on, and, and I learned this from my mentor, Jeremiah Wright and, and John Richard Bryant. Those are my two uh, preaching mentors. Um, John Richard, Richard Bryant was um, a, just a genius in taking the scriptures and, and you know, of course, exegeting them and then relating those scriptures to where we are today. I think that there's been, um, for, for far too many people, for far too many people who have gone to church, there has not been that type of consistent tying the, the, the scripture of yesterday to the reality of today, which you absolutely have to do in order to make it relevant for people. Um, and I think mm-hmm. the thing that I, uh, that I do, and this I learned from Jeremiah Wright, is to get into our history and, 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 and sow that into the sermon or sow that into the Bible study. Just sow it in. Don't keep it off on a shelf someplace, but put it into the body of what you are teaching so that people can begin to, to see that Jesus, number one, was worked for the liberation of people tell the story related to what's going on in our own lives, related to what has happened in our history and, and begin to tell the story in that way so that um, black people understand that liberation is not some evil, uh, some evil thing as many white nationalists and some black people will say too that you don't need all that. Yeah, you do. You need all of that in order to make sense out of God, you know, make sense out of, 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 of what's going on, you can still have issues, and you will, um, even as you study uh, uh, how uh, God wants us to be liberated, because then you go into this whole question of theodicy, what if, if God is so good, why doesn't he just make everybody act right? Meaning, why doesn't he make it so that everybody will treat everybody with fairness? So you have those difficult questions that are that that will never have answers. But we at least have to include. We have to we have to um, use the scriptures, read the scriptures, internalize the scriptures, and then relate them. Let them know that the Father who said, you know, back in Jesus, they help thou my unbelief, can be a Father right now. You know, don't let there be so much space. There's no such thing as, you know, to me, there is no such thing as a scripture um, that, uh, or, or the possibility of a scripture liberating anybody unless and until we tie it to where we are today. And that includes the history of us as black people, which so many uh, people do not include in their, in their sermons and their lessons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if we accept what, what you just presented, then we've got a fracture that is impacting black people all over this country because mm-hmm. black people are tending not to get that kind of healing in their churches and from their faith leadership. Uh, Reverend Susan, we've got to take a break, but when we come back, I do want to talk to you about that fracture and get your thoughts about how we fix it. 
Okay. And I also want to talk with you about the idea. Here's my question uh, in our second hour. How do oppressed people pray? Mm, okay. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our guest tonight is Reverend Dr. Susan Smith. She's a faith liberationist and author. Her newest book, With Liberty and Justice for Some, The Bible, The Constitution, and Racism in America, and she is also the author of the book of Jeremiah, The Life and Ministry of Jeremiah A. Wright, Jr., and she is the author of Crazy Faith and Rest for the Justice-Seeking Soul. Thank you so much for being with us, and we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll have more discussion with her about shoring up our faith and our empty tanks in the face of white supremacy. and changing the structure so that it becomes more human for everybody. What the Negro's friends pretend, and I'm sorry, baby, but with friends like that, you don't need no enemies, you know. What the Negro's friends pretend is that all the Negro wants is just another Cadillac. He wants to get to be just like Eisenhower. Well, I, speaking for myself, would rather cut my throat than suppose that my forefathers bled and suffered and died for this, in this country in order to become yet another blank mediocrity. We can do. If you think about the myths that American white people have created about American black people, you begin to have some notion of the weight black people have in white people's consciences. It was never true, for example, that I came here wanting to rape nobody, you know. And in fact, I very rarely carried a knife. And I'm not a whole my liquor. But the myths to which one is subjected are the most terrifying symptom of the emotional and spiritual and sexual poverty and the panic of the American people. If one is aware of this, then one recognizes, I think this is the most valuable suggestion, that it is not the Negro who is in jail. It is white people who are in jail. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Stay tuned and we'll be right back with more. Tell me how we got over, Lord. 
How do you wake up the entire African-American community to the hidden issue of mental health? It showed up in my life through one of my best friends. And we've been friends for over 30 years. One story at a time. If we would have known earlier, you know, we would have been more, much more supportive with her. Once I reached out to my sister, it got a little better. Once I told my mother, it got a little better. The more I talked about it, I felt it coming off. The healing is in me, and the healing in a journey can also be extended to others. It's our community and our mental health. Giving voice to what you're feeling is part of the healing. If you're strong enough to just open your mouth, that's all it takes. And the most revolutionary and healing thing that black people can do right now is to love one another. It's time to share ourselves. Healing starts with us. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Ad Council, and the Stay Strong Foundation. You're listening who champion this cause of something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. And then he set her up by backing off. Well, if she will come and talk to us. Right. Yeah, and she yeah, came yeah. and talked to you, not alone, she came and talked with the CIA guy. Sure did. And he basically backed up everything she said, but now they have larger concerns. Now they're crying and whining about the filibuster and the reform of the filibuster. Not only should they reform the filibuster, they should drop the nuclear option on the filibuster. And when you hear people like Mitch McConnell saying that, if they do this, this will poison the well forever. Well, I'll take your threat and I'll raise you to shove it in your behind. Right, raucous, and reason. Advanced urban progressive political talk radio. The Alpha Show. Only at TruthWorks Network. Friday, 10 p.m. And for those of you who are wondering, the Alpha Show will return. Alpha is recovering, and it will be much longer than we thought. We are uh, making, uh, having negotiations with This Is Revolution, uh, Jason Miles and Pascal Rebur to sit in for Alpha starting a week after next. And Alpha, if you're listening. I miss you, brother. I miss you. And we are hoping for a speedy and a full recovery for you. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind. It's a terrible thing to waste. 
Nobody likes to be in the wilderness. Nobody likes to suffer. Nobody likes to be humiliated and to be put down and cast aside and dehumanized and criminalized. But that's what happens to us as black people, and that's what happens in many of our personal lives. The goodness of God, the thing you can count on, is that even in the wilderness, God will meet you and keep you and hold you and stand you up. Even in the wilderness, God will be there and will remind you that trouble don't last always. God may not take away the racism and the sexism and the xenophobia and all of the evil which makes people suffer, but God will keep us from falling. Or if we fall, God will be there to pick us up. White folks in this country have been working for over 400 years to get rid of the black people that they brought to this country in order to make them rich, but... We are still here. They worked hard to eliminate the Native Americans as they stole their land and made them walk from Georgia to Oklahoma, but the Native Americans are still here. They have worked hard to keep their knees on our necks, these people. They have worked hard to keep their knees on our necks so that we cannot breathe. They have worked hard to steal our joy and our hope, believing that we will give up. But God, in making us tremble, also made us strong, and can't nobody take our hope away from us. We are not going to give up. We are not going to let them conquer our souls. Why? Because God has allowed us to tremble enough so that we have built up our spiritual muscles. We are in the ring with injustice. And though injustice knocks us down, we get back up. We are in the ring fighting poverty and underemployment and unemployment. And though we get knocked down, we get back up. Trembling because we have been angry or confused or defiant has only strengthened us in this season. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now back to Janice. And thank you for being with us here in the Black Truth Sanctuary at Our Common Ground. And coming back in, that was our guest tonight, Reverend Dr. Susan Smith. In her sermon, Why We Tremble, <laughs> and it answers a, a, a lot of questions for the faithful, and it also provides an ignition and initiation for those who have either lost faith or are looking for faith because we need something. Reverend Dr. Susan, thank you so much for being with us here again at Our Common Ground. And for those of you who are listening, uh, um, her uh, guest appearance with us back in 2014, you can find also in our archives on demand. Uh, Reverend Susan, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Did you hear yourself? That's some powerful (laughs) stuff. I, I, did. <laughs> I I was caught off guard. I said, who is that? And I said, oh, Susan, that's you. Yeah, I, yeah, I did. <laughs> you, you have so much substance that I imagine that sometimes you don't, you wouldn't recognize some of the stuff, but that was one of the 
<coughs> excuse me, one of the sermons, and I was really interested in it because during the time that I found it, which was uh, last year um, after the murder of George Floyd, and I found myself trembling. Sister, I mm-hmm. found myself trembling. Um, mm-hmm. And and then during the trial, I went back to it because I watched these these young people having to witness, and I and you know, and I said to myself, "My God," which is why I follow you on Facebook or on on Twitter, and 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 I said, "My God, what do you say to a child mm-hmm. about the trauma?" Right. The absolute, I mean, you rip the innocence, you know, in the same way that my innocence about death was ripped away from me by by a story in Jet Magazine by about a young boy named Emmett Till. Um, right. You know, how do you recover you know, uh, I mean, there. I, I know that there are two people out in our audience tonight because I can see them who grew up in the same AME tradition that I did. One, one whose father was an AME minister. Mm. <laughs> um, we know that we know that people like that have something to lean into. I have. Something I haven't been inside a church for a as a member of a church in many years. I gave up the structure, the institution, mm-hmm. but my life prepared me to have something to lean into. Mm-hmm. So, what do we do about all these people? who are not getting the kind of black liberation theology, uh, the kind of uh, support that as a black person we need in order to survive the trauma of what has happened to us and is happening to us. You know, uh, all these people running, all these black people running around and saying, well, you know, when Donald Trump dies, he's going to go to hell. Well, you know, wait a minute. <laughs> I want him, I, I want to hand him some hell before he dies. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I I hear that a lot from 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 black, the black faithful. And I'm going, no, that's that's just wrong. The chronology of all of that is wrong. So what are your thoughts about how we can, these people who need our people, our brothers and sisters, our children who need to lean in? Well, I think... One of the biggest um, ways to do that is to go to where the, the people are, especially the young people, to go to them as opposed to 
staying in a nice, comfortable building, which, of course, the pandemic has ruined for a lot of people, um, and expecting them to come to us. I think church is not a place, but church is an action. And in order to reach the people who need to lean in, we need to go to them. And what do we do when we go to them? We see what they need. We speak Mm -hmm. to people's needs. We um, build relationships and and trust. And as we do that, we get them to a place where they're comfortable talking about how they're struggling, how they're dealing with the struggles that they're dealing with, um, and then begin to, you know, suggest to them and let them make their own decisions because, you know, people, you know, are crazy with this stuff, but, you know, suggest to them that calling on God works. Um, and giving some some examples of our own lives, of why we know that, making ourselves mm-hmm. vulnerable um, as opposed to standing up like some, you know, pie-in-the-sky God, but going to where they are um, and then sharing with them some of the things that we have been through because everybody has been through something. But the biggest mm-hmm. thing is to, and I've said, I've heard so many young people say this, oh, I, I just want to serve. That's all they want to do. People love God. They want to serve. The people genuinely and generally want to help people. So I think we go to them and invite them to help serve others and then let that begin to open the doors to their spirit so that they can lean into God. I think that they, you know, if, we, if, if I go back and think about how my life drastically changed eight years ago, it was an awful time of my life. And I didn't want to go into a church at all. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to, um, I, I just didn't want to do any of it. But you know what I would do? I would just, because I had been in a, in a place, I, I, I never really put as much stuff in the church um, into the den- and into the denomination as I did on my belief in, in God. And I didn't know where God was. Um, I didn't know how to reach God. I didn't know if I was worthy of reaching God. I didn't know any of that. All I had was this thing that my mother told me, who was my first theology teacher, that God is. She would just say, God is. And so mm-hmm, I would just mm-hmm. literally walk around and say, okay, God, okay, God. That's the only thing I could pray, Janice. I couldn't get a long prayer out. It wasn't even necessary. God didn't need that. But what it did for me is it helped remind me that in the time of trouble, there is a force greater than our own pain. And so, and I think that's what our ancestors had to do when, you know, when you read the stories of how, you know, the, the slave owners or the overseers or both had gone rape our women. How did they get through that? They had, You know that song, Over My Head? I hear music mm-hmm. in the air. There must be a God somewhere. That's what I'm talking about, the religion of oppressed people and the God of oppressed people is different uh, than the God of the oppressor. And I believe that they they held on to this idea that God was good and that God was near, and if we could get people to, you know, after building a relationship and getting them to work to help others and all that, get them to just be able to say that, just be able to say God is good and God is near, it would be a, a way to begin, for them to begin their process of, of leaning in to God. Mm-hmm, 
You know, um, many years ago, I happened to be in a supermarket, and uh, a, a black child had, uh, by accident, bumped into a white woman. And she turned around and berated this child and actually called the child a nigger. Mm. And I was not Mm. far from them. And I stepped over, and this woman had this huge cross Mm. on a necklace. And I said, lady... Before I slap the shit out of you, you better grab that cross and go find whatever God you have and figure out because that is not the God of of the God that I serve. Right. And... By that time, because I was talking real loud, (laughs) I was so angry. And and I didn't want to traumatize the child, which is why I didn't just punch her in her throat. But when you know that there are such creatures walking around in the universe, when you know that, it is very difficult mm-hmm. to figure out what to pray for, how to pray. What do oppressed people pray um, when you see the the crosses that were carried on January 6th yes, into the yes. Capitol building? I mean, how do you, you know, make how do you make reason? So, so let me let me share two things. One, I have this my secret <laughs> my secret psalm that I pray because when you say how do you pray? How do you pray when you are oppressed? How do you pray? Because you know the scriptures say pray for those who despitefully use you. Yada yada yada. Um, I pray for them. I pray that you know. I pray that. God work with them. But this is my prayer. I pray Psalm thirty five one, which says in the King James Version, Contend, O Lord with O Lord, with those who contend with me. And I what I'm actually saying is get them. Get them. We have a human inclination, a human impulse to want people to hurt who have hurt or who are hurting us. And I have shared in many a Bible study that the value and the power of praying Psalm 35.1. You might be able to find your own scripture, but that, that's the one I pray. Um, the value of doing that is that, uh, number one, it, get, it relieves you of some of your angst. Um, mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you're acknowledging that you are just pissed and you want God to do something. We have to, uh, um, you know, so many people are taught in religion, well, if you love the Lord, you don't get mad. That is not true. Jesus got mad. God the Father, and you know, Yahweh in the Hebrew Scriptures got mad. You can get mad if you call yourself a Christian. It's a good thing. You wrestle with that. Um, and so you pray, Psalm 35, 1, to take the onus of trying to get somebody back 
um, who has hurt you and let God do it because God is the divine parent of all of us. And God, if we, again, go to the scriptures, God loves all of us, even the people that we hate, God loves because those are God's children. So that's why you have in the story from the Exodus when, and I think it's in the Midrash, Midrash, but when um, the, the, Re- the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea was opened and the Israelites went through on dry land and they could hear the hoofs of the uh, Egyptians coming up on them. They knew that they were in big trouble and they walked across the, uh, the Sea of Reeds on dry land and then at, when they got back, when they got on, on dry land on the other side, God covered and closed the waters. And the Israelites, according to the story, um, in the Midrash, the Israelites began to cheer, and God stopped them. God said, why are you rejoicing? I love these children as much as I love you. That has been such a profound re- reminder to me that even the people who are doing the most heinous things are, are belong to God. So we, you know, mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus, like, just take care of them. Please, just get them. That's what you're saying. The second thing I, I, I want to lift up is that in my book, I decided that there's just not one God. We are not a monotheistic religious group. We are not. Christianity is not. The the the, the fact that those guys on the January 6th, <laughs> it just cracks me up when now I'm not so angry at it, but I'm still pretty angry. But when those guys got in the Senate chambers and as they were going through people's desks, and putting their feet up on and taking pictures of documents that they should not have had any access to. One guy, I think it was the guy that was in the horns with the painted face, he made people stop and they prayed. They prayed. They yes. prayed. And, and I his, thought, okay. And his prayer was, his prayer was like kind of bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's because yes, they have made their God into a warrior. Their God is um, is a general. Their God is a warrior. Their God is one who leads people to war. Onward, Christian soldiers marching as to war. That is not the gospel that Jesus taught. And so I concluded that there are two gods. There's a God of white people in this country. There's a God of white people, and then there's, then there's a God, I said, of black people, but there, I could... Um, Edit that and say it's a God of oppressed people. The God of the oppressed people is a God who believes, who teaches us that you, the great commandment, you should love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. That God is different from the God that these other people are claiming. I don't know their God, Janice. I don't, and I couldn't even begin to call out the name of God if that's all I had. But I think we, in, in line with what our ancestors had to have done, we have said, mm-mm, that ain't my God. So I, I claim, mm-hmm. I, I say it, and people get, you know, can get uh, pretty testy with me when I say it, but there's not two gods. That God, I'm not, I'm not going to bother with. That's the same God that um, Sam Bowers, who, used to, who was the uh, Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, he, he tells a story. It's just amazing. He said he had a Damascus Road experience where God knocked him out on, you know, on the ground, and God told him his call, uh, according to Bowers, was God said he was being called to save white supremacy, and he acted on that. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. He did. And so when he would gather his his posse, 
to go and hunt black people down. He was the one that killed Vernon Damer, who uh, registered people to vote. I think it was in Florida. And he um, he would gather people and he would train them and before and, and preparation of going to lynch somebody or kill somebody. He would make them fast and pray. Fast and pray. Going up to the night before, the day before their planned murder of an innocent black person who was doing nothing but fighting for his or her rights. So that ain't my God. I do not claim that mm-hmm. God. I mm-hmm. will not worship mm-hmm. that God. I will not. I, I'm not going to do it. I am not going to do it because that God would decimate my spirit. You see, we mm-hmm. have to talk mm-hmm. about the God that gave our ancestors all oppressed people. How did the, how did the Native Americans make it from Georgia to Oklahoma being made to walk that distance? How did they do it? They didn't do it by holding on to the to the to the white nationalist God. They did it by holding on to the God that was in their hearts. And I think God in our heart, mm-hmm. uh, which has been you know seasoned by our experiences and seasoned by our ancestors and our immediate forebears. That's the God that we pray to. That's that's who I that's who I do. I cannot, will not uh, honor um, an oppressive mm-hmm. God. I will not do it. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that the fact that um, uh, this Christian God, this white nationalist God, comes from you know uh, the definition of slavery coming out of the the Enuma Elish, uh, where the Babylonian gods and those those gods were all warriors, and then there was one that the, that won the battle. Our Christianity, our Christian theology, as practiced by people on that side of the line, come ex, come uh, partly, at least partially, from uh, adherence to the Enuma Elish, and that ain't my God. Won't ever be. Mhm, 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 mhm. You know, the last time you were here, I recall that we had a a pretty uh, substantial uh, discussion about prosperity religions or uh, faith, prosperity faith in the black community. And one of the things I wanted to check with you is my sense is that that particular brand of black uh, faith culture is waning. Am I am I am I getting it right? I don't know. Or is it that answer. all the all the black people, all the black prosperity people, have gone to the white prosperity churches? I I think that. Uh, black prosperity churches are still around. They're going to be around because capitalism is also a god. Capitalism, people mm-hmm. worship. Capitalism. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, they they can and do. Uh, mega church uh, prosperity uh, pastors use the name of Jesus to you know get people to believe in whatever they get them to believe in order to um, uh, seed into the, the prosperity of the pastor many times and and work. More, more for their becoming prosperous than for their becoming um, a person that's in a deep relationship with God, and so those churches will will be here because religion in this country is, is largely a business. It is political. It's so partisan. It's all of that, and I don't think that those those types of churches are going to disappear anytime soon, if ever. So uh, if all of the energy of that large group of people, black people, 
is going into building the capital, uh, the capitalistic uh, infrastructure of a church, how do we tap into uh, what else that they are doing for us, for justice? Well, a lot of churches are not doing anything for justice. They are afraid to. Uh, many people, many pastors, uh, well, pastors are really controlled by their congregations for the most part. And if your congregation mm-hmm. does not want you to preach about, you know, social justice, if they don't want you to preach about racism, and you go ahead and do it, they will fire you. Because Christianity mm-hmm. is a business and because these people rely on their pastorates in order to pay their mortgage, they will um, give in to the pressure of their congregations. And as long as that is the reality, I don't think that there's going to be much of a possibility of change. And so, um, you know, the people who 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 believe in the concept of being like a, a servant for God, who believe in the concept and, and the command to love your neighbor as yourself, uh, those people will 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 find places where that need inside of them will be fed and and will, will and they will be able to learn more about it um but the for the people whose sole gain is to you know get prosperous and mention Jesus on the side but not really depend on him those churches will always exist i don't even call them churches um but they are they're churches but they're just churches with a different god mhm 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 i hear you Okay, so uh, I read somewhere. <laughs> you know, I spend my oh. life reading. <laughs> I, I read somewhere. Now that you have completed with liberty and justice for some, the Bible, the Constitution, and racism in America, which I highly recommend to, to this audience, and if you have not read the um, rest for the justice-seeking soul. It rest for the just, justice-seeking soul, uh, Reverend Susan, is a book that I keep by my bedside. Oh, oh I'm so glad to hear that. Because Thank you. I, I'm telling you, I have, and people in this audience probably recognized it, or and I've talked about it in great detail over the uh, over the past. Seven years, I have really struggled uh, in thinking through and having hope and 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 uh, trying to understand wh- when and where I enter in black struggle. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, since the last time you were here, I have retired professionally and. I moved to Florida, uh, oh. which, which is yeah. I'm I'm living in Florida now. I'm no, no longer in Boston. Uh, okay. I was in Boston for 52 years. Oh wow. Um, yeah. So uh, more than 52 years actually, because I don't I don't count the time the the years I was a student. But uh, I moved to Florida after retirement. And it really was, you know, people think it was for the weather. It wasn't, it, I don't know. It did, this is home to me. This, this is where my roots are. And 
I had spent so many years of not having family mm-hmm. uh, around me that I made plans um, to at retirement to to move to Florida. Um, but it has really been a struggle for me to see the other side. One of the things that uh, I read almost weekly is James Weldon Johnson's poem, lyrics to this uh, black national anthem, the Negro national anthem. It is one of mm-hmm. my favorites. And, um, and w- when I get to the part, we have come. And I think about as I move into my senior years that I don't have as much time as when I became an activist uh, at age 15 to make change. And I have really, really struggled with that. You know, for instance, I've been doing this radio show for 34 years now, and I'm going to be leaving it uh, in February 2022. Wow. So, uh, you know, so when when we go to lift every voice and sing and i get to the i mean it is it is not when when you know i have so many versions of it but when it gets to the part of of we have come mm-hmm. it is very disturbing to see what has happened over the last 50 years yeah uh, one of my guests calls it the 50-year reconstruction. Wow. And and to see it all fall apart yeah. and knowing that I will not have many opportunities to impact uh, a third reconstruction. Wow. So I, I, just, I just wonder uh, in in the faith community, whether or not there are people, uh, whether or not we have a younger generation of theologians in our community that can bring a more effective and impactful leadership to um, have, to make sure that our community has a full tank. You know, actually there are. There are a lot of young people um, who are in seminary now or head of the seminary or who have started their own churches, which are not traditional for the most part. They mm-hmm. are there. They are brilliant. They are um, uh, aware um they're bold. They, they have the usual uh, youthful naivete, which is good, which that gives you energy that keeps the hope going. Um, but there are a lot of them. I'm seeing a lot of them um, in my work with the Samuel of the Whit Proctor Conference. I'm seeing a lot of these young people. I mean, they're like they come out of the walls. They are they are scholars. They are writers. They are pastors. They are preachers. They are all of them. They are musicians. And they um, mm-hmm. have a voice, and they're amplifying it. So um, there's there's good reason to hope with uh, with that, and will be needed because um, 
the God of the other side um, is conceptualized as um, white evangelicals. White evangelicals have decided that God is that Jesus is white, or, or like an Aryan Caucasian, um, and they believe that God was sent to white people for white people. And so these African Americans and Hispanic and other uh, people of color who are coming with this new energy and a fierce love of God and a fierce love of and for uh, social justice and liberation theology, they are here and they are moving and we need to know them and welcome them and engage with them. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when you think about uh, the leadership on in the areas of well, black uh, liberation theology, you know, you've got uh, Reverend Cone, James Cone, you've got um, others that, you know, are even older than me. Mm-hmm. So that's good. That's that's really good to hear. And one of the things that I was thinking week before last, as the debate around critical race theory uh, began is that the Project 1619 doesn't put very much emphasis on on a black faith culture, as I thought she should have, but who am I? I can't even write a paragraph when I get tired. <laughs> but <laughs> so... I, I'm, 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 you know, and I was asking, uh, as a matter of fact, someone that you probably know, Andre uh, Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, why black liberation theology was not part of the debate on critical race theory, um, because it, it it is something that has to be taught, and one of the reasons that it has not become functional in the traditional black church. Um, in uh, infrastructure is because it hasn't been taught. Well, that's true, and it hasn't been taught, um, especially in our churches. One of the things that really impressed me with um, Jeremiah Wright's church, because I went there um, as a student, as an intern, uh, before graduating from seminary and then working as an associate pastor there. But one of the mm-hmm. things I absolutely loved was that even in the Bible studies, things were uh, were included to teach us all that we did not know. So yeah. we we read Gayrod Wilmore. We read James Cone, all of his books. We read um, Dr. Washington's stuff. We, re- we read that stuff, and it was all incorporated into our Bible study lessons. And so I think that that's what has to happen, that um, – People have to uh, to 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 teach that to teach it in a number of different venues. You might be able to say something on a Sunday morning to to mention something, but if you've got you know a resistant church and you're worried about saving your job, you're not going to say anything. But you can go to a Bible study and sit and listen. So people have to uh-huh. want to know, and and pastors and and faith leaders um, have to have the courage to share to to share to. To, to get people to study. If you study to show yourself approved, what does that mean? It doesn't mean to try to be some some perfect person, which drives me absolutely crazy when people say, well, I'm saved, and then they, you know, proceed to 
to their behavior, their attitude uh, tends to suggest that they are better than whatever. Um, but um, being saved in that vernacular is not what saves you. Uh, your relationship with God and your willingness to let God transform your life for the good of yourself, of course, but also for the good of the community. That's that's what the goal is. And so if, there, if mm-hmm. people are not learning that in church, they, you know, if if enough people like people at your show and you know, Dr. Karen and um, Greg Carr on, on 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 their weekly show just teach, 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 teach. You know, and in Deuteronomy, it says it was, uh, Yahweh is telling the Jewish people to tell their children um, about where they've been, what the Passover was, and why they are where they are. And I love the scripture. It says, write it as frontlets between their eyes. Tell them their story so that they don't yeah. feel like they are nothing. And, 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 and let people know it'll, it'll transform. I don't care how old you are because if you are black or brown and you've been oppressed, you have a hunger to stop feeling the burden of being oppressed. So if you if you teach that in your lessons, if you in, in your sermons, that's great. And if you follow it up or follow it through by teaching it in your Bible study and letting people know that it's not just the Bible that you read in order to be whole. You read the Bible and other stuff so that you can have a broader understanding. And you also right. don't read the Bible, you know, just like a, a novel. No, you you read it. And fits and starts, and you stop long enough to internalize them. People don't do that. And they just like to say, oh, I read the whole Bible. Okay, that's good. But your behavior doesn't show it. You know what I'm saying? When, when you are yes. connected to God, your behavior reflects it. People can see it. They don't even have to ask you um, if you believe in God because they can see it. And so I think the teaching, uh, writing it as frontlets is critical. Mhm. One of the things that I have been saying on this broadcast for years and years and years that if black people wish to hope, they have to have some faith that is brought to them in their activism. Yeah a force that holds them up, helps them lean in. Because I am telling you, uh, over the years that um, in SNCC and the Black Panther Party and everything else that I have used and tested and been involved in, if I didn't have something to lean on, I would have been in a permanent state of despair. Right, right. And that's what leaning into God uh, saves you from. You don't feel this way. That's why mm-hmm. we as a, as a people, black people, that's why we're still here. Um, yeah. Because our, our experience here has been wretched. It's been wretched. Yeah. It has been a wonderful, wonderful time to spend with you. And thank you so much, uh, Reverend Dr. Susan Smith, for spending time with us and helping us to be better liberationists by claiming some form of faith that we can move into hope. Absolutely. I will still weep 
I will still weep when I listen to Lift Every Voice and Sing, but I move from it. I mean, I'm I'm just one of those people. It, it's something that just causes me to to weep. Um, and even though he wrote it uh, on the 100th birthday of Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. but it still resonates. It it resonates. It resonates in in my from my childhood. Um, and you know, every time that I I, I think of it, uh, there are loads of things through the years that I picked up. Like um, I remember there was there was a uh, a young man who was practicing to be a minister. I don't know what he was doing, but anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> he he kept saying that um, when I was in the in the choir in the school choir. And he had some sermon talking about you are somebody. And I actually mm-hmm. listened to this sermon. I was in junior high school or something. And and I listened to this sermon. And afterwards the choir sang, lift every voice and sing. And mm. I think that, that, you know, all of those kinds of experiences allow us to lean in. So thank you so very much. And I hope you'll come back. Um we are trying to revise, find a host for Soul of Fire. Mm. Um, we lost Dr. Matthew Johnson uh, because mm. of uh, professional obligations that he had. And it was such mm-hmm. a wonderful show, and I uh, would like to revive it. So thank you very much. And for those of you who are listening, it is Candid Opportunity. Observations.com. You can right. find Reverend Susan on Twitter, Reverend Dr. Susan K. Smith, and her Twitter handle is um, Cassidy2EUCA. Reverend Susan, right. that's way too, way too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the names of my two dogs. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh okay. Yeah. And I imagine um, that there are those of who have listened tonight to your wisdom and to your insight will want to catch up with you on Twitter. And thank you so very much. Thank you. I was really honored to be here. Have a good evening and the rest of your weekend, too. You, too. All right. Take good care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dr. Revan Susan, uh, nice to have her visit with us again. As we go out tonight, uh, one of the things that we want to do is just to really emphasize, you know, I don't know how many of you caught it, but I was using Mahalia Jackson tonight. Most of you don't realize that she was the voice of the civil rights era.
she was the voice of the civil rights era. And uh, for those of us who lived through it, understand how important that that voice was uh, in bringing home the message of we shall overcome. We thank you for being with us tonight, and as we go out, we are going to share with you one of my favorite versions of Lift Every Voice. Thank you for being with us next week. Oh, don't forget, please uh, go to the Alpha Show on Facebook and leave Alpha um, a message of, cheer and well wishes. It's the Alpha Show on Facebook. His name is really, we don't really talk about it much, but his name is Dwayne. <laughs> Dwayne Alfred, and he also has a Facebook page, and he is Alpha 8 on Twitter. Thank you for being with us next week. Neil Franklin, who was the Maryland State Trooper, who was the voice of advocacy for legalizing marijuana in this country. He's going to be joining us again. He's an old Our Common Ground voice. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That's is the promise to glade the hill we climb if only we dare it because being american is more than a pride we inherit it's the past we step into and how we repair it joining us tonight at Our Common Ground. Join us each Saturday night, 10 p.m., transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you, reminding you to trust your story. Let's go! All my brothers out there.
like this part right here. Come on. Yeah. 